welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Chirtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Orange County, California is Mary Shirley. Mary is head of compliance at Massimo and author of Living Your Best Compliance Life, 65 Hacks and Cheat Codes to Level Up Your Ethics and Compliance Program. And today we're gonna to be talking about the topic of leveling up yourself as a compliance professional. Mary, thanks for joining us. And I, I love this concept of, of leveling up. I think it's significant that you focus on compliance people developing not just their programs, but also themselves. One of the many intriguing ideas you have in the book is developing a notebook on yourself. What goes into it and why should anyone treat their annual evaluation as something more than a chore to be forgotten as soon as it's done? Uh, You're one of the few people who embraces them. (laughs) Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the question. So the, the the section of the book about professional development was a really important one to me because it's one of those things where if you don't take the bull by the horns yourself, um, it's oftentimes unlikely that your your employer is going to do that for you because, frankly, that's not the, the aim of their core business. And so it's important for us to own our own advancement in the space and, and more holistically as, as people. So the concept of a notebook is one which recognizes that in the moment when we're creating projects and we're completing them, we remember specific details, we remember challenges, we remember triumphs and success stories, but with the passage of time and moving on to new things, those details start to become more fuzzy. And so to set yourself up for success later for not just performance reviews, but also for future job interviews, if you keep a notebook of your uh, accomplishments and deliverables and the details surrounding those, you'll be putting yourself in good stead for when you need to retrieve that information, it will be very easy for you to complete your performance review at the end of the year because you have all of that information to hand. Then maybe for the medium to long term, keeping these notebooks that you've you've, you've had each year for competency-based interview questions when you're going for your next job, it's very helpful in terms of your preparation to be able to anticipate questions like, tell me of an example where you had a difficult stakeholder that you had to bring around to your idea of thinking or to get buy-in from them, or tell us about a crisis situation and how you recovered from it. It's very hard to come up with eloquent answers on the spot in interviews if you haven't prepared and organized well enough. So you're really doing yourself a disservice not to think about appropriate answers that really put your best foot forward in the most clear and concise way. So keeping a notebook like this is really great fodder for interview prep to help you shine uh, in the best way and to be a um, uh, a candidate that's well thought of in the interview process. Well, I think it would also be very important for just the ability to remind yourself of what you accomplished. I mean, mm-hmm. all of us in our day-to-day do so much that it sort of mm-hmm. blends together. You know, somebody totally. I know years ago always told me that it's important to sort of celebrate the moment you know, Mm -hmm. because it's too easy to lose track of it. And this is a good Mm -hmm. way to help, you know, keep yourself going. Now, 
Let's shift the topic a little bit. You've had a very high profile in the compliance community. You speak a lot, you write, uh, you've done podcasting, um, probably almost as much as I have. Um, a lot <laughs> of people are afraid to do any of them, even if they've mm. done brilliant and innovative work. What mm -hmm. advice would you give them to get started? Mm -hmm. So the critical thing, of course, is, is to just start. Um, you might worry that it's not good enough, um, that you're opening yourself up to criticism. But if you don't put yourself out there in the first place, then you'll always be left wondering. And we know that that is often one of the biggest regrets for people that they share when they come to the end of their life. And so don't be one of those people that, that always wonders what if. Um, if you're unsure about the quality of it, lean on your wisdom council to help you. So that's people that are in your network that you very much admire and you trust them to, to be candid with you and, and help you in a way that will be what's best for you, not just be a 100% cheerleader no matter what, but people that help keep you in check and uh, will give you strong advice. And so if you're a little nervous about putting yourself out there, uh, use a smaller audience first, get feedback, input, and uh, if necessary, tweak things and then just get out there and start doing stuff. Uh, I know it's hard and I know it's scary to put yourself out there and people are often shocked when they hear that I'm uh, by nature an introvert and, and very shy because I've worked hard at those things. Um, and a, a way in which you can overcome some of that shyness is to have some some well-known accomplishments and it's also a great way to network candidly um you know when you write an article and someone reaches out to you to discuss some of the things in it or someone comes up to you after your conference session introduces themselves uh, it's a great way to make your network uh think about topics in a different way and that inspires more talks more articles so the critical thing is to get started and tell yourself that the the bravest thing that you can do is giving it a try and you really don't lose a lot for giving it a go. No, you don't. And there is great appreciation out there in the community for people who do you know, like you do and and do the speaking and the writing. Um, you will find for anyone considering it, you know, a couple of things. One is no one submits the first draft. You know, there's nothing wrong mm -hmm. with going and asking peers for feedback if you're writing an article mm -hmm. for the first time. And mm -hmm. then secondly, even though you may not get that immediate email, it's always to me interesting when you hear back from people later. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been at one of our conferences and somebody has said, geez, I really like that podcast you did or that article made me think or that cartoon mm -hmm. made me laugh. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it is appreciated out there and just know that people really are hungry for that. Now, you mentioned something a little bit ago, which is a wisdom council. Um, can you mm -hmm. share what it is and how it works? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, a wisdom council is not something that you need to convene on a regular basis. Nobody even really needs to know specifically. You don't have to appoint someone formally, but it's basically you identifying people in your network that will be able to help you pave your way forward and support you, not in the 100% uh, gushing kind of a way to make you try feel good all the time, but support you in a way that helps you gather success. 
So people who want the best for you, um, and hopefully they will do it in diplomatic and gentle ways when, when it's required. Essentially, it is a group of people, ideally with diverse strengths at different areas of their career, that you're able to lean on when you have a question or you when you want to show them some work and gather some feedback and commentary. Uh, if you're stuck on something uh, substantively at work and you're able to um, make it high level enough a description to get some advice from somebody else, that's the kind of thing that you can use your wisdom counsel for uh, if you're struggling with dealing with work politics. And so it's kind of the concept of a boatload of mentors um, that have different strengths and are able to assist you with different areas of your life. But first and foremost, the critical angle is that it must be people who are willing to speak truth to you to be able to put you in a position where you're always able to advance, not so that you're just hearing what they think you want to hear. It's important to have that. I mean, people who can do it in such a way that is, you know, encouraging and and not destructive, it mm -hmm. is really valuable. Now, you're also an advocate for passion projects. Um, mm -hmm. What are they, and and how do they help? Mm -hmm. uh, so passion projects are essentially what I kind of call them extracurriculars. <laughs> so it's the <laughs> idea of taking something that is not mandatory for you to do and recognizing that you'll likely be using your personal time to do semi-work-related stuff. And so first and foremost, you've got to be okay with that concept that you may be doing stuff that feels a little bit like work uh, in your personal time. So that's things like writing articles, maybe um, starting a podcast, participating on podcasts, webinars, speaking at conferences, creating groups where you see need. For example, Compliance Career Connection was established during the pandemic to help our peers and colleagues who were struggling with finding new employment after the mass layoffs in, in uh, the 2020-2021 periods. Um, the Boston Compliance Networking Meetups that Matt Kelly and I started when we recognized that there was no local uh, opportunity for get-togethers for compliance folks. So thinking about something that you consider would be a gap in the market and that you think you can fulfill, that's essentially what a, a passion project is for me. Um, and uh, Adam Grant, the organizational psychologist, says <clears throat> essentially, um, you know, networking is best done when you um, uh, see a need and fulfill it for other people. So essentially being of service. So passion projects are fantastic for bolstering your resume, helping you learn new skills, but also creating genuine bonds. It's not networking for the sake of networking. It's bonding and getting to know people through the course of doing legitimate work with them. So it's one of the strongest uh, links, I think, in, in my network um, has been through passion projects. You know, along those lines, going back to what we were just talking about is when you're looking to maybe write or to do a, your first speaking, you know, mm -hmm. gig at a conference is you don't have to do it alone. You know, find mm -hmm. somebody else who's got similar thoughts of you and put something together. Now, mm -hmm. one other thing I want to talk about is courage. You're an advocate for it. You've had a, arguably a very brave career. You're a New Zealander who had the courage to come to the U.S. You've worked all over mm -hmm. the country. You've been willing to share your insights and even do what many dream of and few do, which is write a book. And mm -hmm. um, and you do this all while saying, you know, by nature, you're an introvert. Mm -hmm. How can people find our inner courage to take those leaps? Mm -hmm. 
You know, it was actually many years before I thought of being basically a career expat as being brave and courageous. And it wasn't until one day when I was in a cab in Singapore, I was visiting. Singapore had been my home previously, and I was living in Hong Kong after living in Dubai and Singapore before that. And I happened to mention some of these things in passing. And the cab driver very rarely for Singapore happened to be a woman. And she looked in the rearview mirror at me and said, you're very brave. Not many Singapore girls would do what you've done. And it wasn't until that moment that I thought, actually, heck yeah. <laughs> um, it, it does take a lot to move to somewhere where you don't know anybody. You don't have any connections. You basically have to start over. And for me doing that on my own, um, it has taken courage. I just didn't think of it as being courageous at the time. But now I embrace that. And part of that has been, you know, that, again, it's almost a fear of missing out. But it's recognizing that there are some people probably out there in the world who are in jobs where maybe they dream of an international life or maybe of escaping the life that they're in. And their circumstances are such that they're just not able to do it. And so I embrace it because I am able to do it. And I'm able to consider and keep an open mind to opportunities that maybe a lot of others wouldn't wouldn't give thought to. So actually, when, when the Dubai role first came up, I'd never been to Dubai before. I'd actually also never been to Singapore and didn't know anything about the city state before I moved there. And so being able to keep an open mind about what opportunities there are and and consider yourself uh, willing to try something new, um, I think has been a huge part of being courageous. I've done it on sort of a global scale, but there are different levels and different ways of being courageous. And so if you just think of it in terms of, I'm gonna keep an open mind to trying something new, to thinking in a way that is different to how I normally think and to letting ideas be considered that maybe I would have otherwise just brushed off. Um, that I think has been a huge part of being courageous. Well, I, I, I love the fact that you've embraced it um, and been so willing to share your experience with all of us today and, and on an ongoing basis. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <music>